Well, we're going to venture into our series here today, and we're starting a brand new one, and um, uh, I have somewhat of a, of a goal of making you feel a bit uncomfortable. Hope you're okay with that. Um, and the reason why you're going to feel uncomfortable, at least for some of you, is because we're talking about a subject that is difficult uh, for us to, to really kind of muster, to swallow. Um, and it's often a topic that is um, seen as taboo in the church, and that is the topic of shame. The reason why shame is seen as taboo is because it's often misconstrued, it's misunderstood, it's ill-defined. It also, shame comes with a whole myriad of emotions that really inform us, they, they lead us to do certain things or not do certain things, and so hence it becomes a very difficult subject to bring up in a place like this, but we are a courageous church, and I'm a courageous pastor, so we're going to just go for it, all right? By the way, one other thing I just want to say too, and this might be controversial, but um, oh well, I, um, uh, this is not a statement on masks. We've obviously communicated what it is that we would ask for people here, and we're trying to keep people safe and, and um, abiding by those things as well. Um, but this is a season of isolation, and I am also, much like many of you, prone to feeling isolated myself. And so this is what I'm doing, and you might experience this yourself. Um, I'll be wearing a mask, and I'll come up to you, and I'll say, I want to give you a hug. Can I give you a hug? And you can say yes or no. If you say yes, I'll give you a hug, because we need a lot more hugs these days. Do you agree? If you say no, I'm going to say, I'm imagining giving you a hug. And then <laughs> I'm going to tell you I love you, and, and we'll all be good, all right? Okay, so shame and grace, the relationship of shame and grace. Um, we are credit where credit's due. Uh, this is a book that was transformative in my life, and I guarantee if you uh, pick up this book, write this down, Shame and Grace. It's by Lewis B. Smeads. Lewis B. Smeads. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can borrow mine. Um, but uh, this is a fantastic book. It will change your life, I guarantee um, this is really where much of what it is that we're going to be talking about is coming from. This is a four-week series. It goes to the progression of talking about shame and how it interacts with our lives. Um, but more importantly, it really dives into the antithesis, of the, the, uh, the vaccine, if you will, of shame, and that is grace and the amazing grace that is provided to us through Jesus Christ. And, um, and so we're going to do that for four weeks. I'm going to be laying down the groundwork for a couple weeks here. And then we have Dennis Conroy. He spoke uh, a while back here. He's an amazing man of God, um, a counselor in his own right. He's going to be sharing a week, and then I'll be concluding the series. But today we're going to be largely talking about what grace, or sorry, what shame is and what shame isn't. Because as I mentioned, it can often be misconstrued, and because it's ill-defined, misconstrued, we have difficulty talking about it in this kind of context. So the first thing we need to differentiate is the difference between healthy shame and unhealthy shame. Because even though we attribute shame with negative connotations, there is a healthy component of shame that we should and can recognize. Uh, so most of us, if not all of us, right now are experiencing some level of healthy or unhealthy shame. 
Now, healthy shame is this. Healthy shame is the good kind, okay? Hence the healthy part. That can serve, when we experience healthy shame, it can serve as a warning that we are becoming the kind of person that we don't want to be. It's those, those triggers warnings, those, those flashes that come up and say, you know, warning, Will Robinson, Will Robinson. If you get that joke, then okay, you're maybe a little older. But the, the, the fact is that we get those warnings and we think, all right, this is not what I'm wanting to become, right? And we then correct our course. That's healthy shame. Unhealthy shame, now this is, this is the bad kind, And this shame is a distorted and exaggerated feeling that you are worthless. That's the message that unhealthy shame gives. But this is the good news. And this is really ultimately what we're wanting to be able to say through the course of this series is that even though unhealthy shame is prevalent and that it is real in most of our lives, we can find healing from unhealthy shame. We are not condemned by it. Now, why is dealing with shame so important? Well, we see this in Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verses 1 through 3. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, and this, this is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on other things, but on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then this is the important part. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that phrase, as I mentioned, consider him who endured such opposition. You see, Jesus, and we've talked about this, and I will continue to do it till the day I die, Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice so that sin and shame would not win the day. And in these verses it says we need to throw off everything that hinders and instead fix our eyes on Jesus. But shame is a real thing. It's a very real thing. And I would venture to say that most of you in some way or another are experiencing unhealthy shame in your life. So we're going to identify that. We're going to really help our, 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 ourselves in this congregation understand what this unhealthy shame is so that we can, just like with any medical situation, we need to identify the problem before we can come up with a solution. So how do we define shame? How can we ultimately know what that is? Well, based on this book, Shame and Grace, I'm going to present a definition. This is by Lewis B. Smeads here. So this is what he says is shame. Shame is a feeling that we do not measure up and maybe never will measure up to the sorts of persons who are meant, that we are meant to be. So the feeling, when we are conscious of it, it gives us a vague disgust with ourselves, which in turn feels like a hunk of lead on our hearts. I would imagine that that really resonates with many of you here today. 
And shame thus can be characterized by thinking or feeling some of the following things. And maybe these are things that you've said out loud, that you've thought internally, you've said to others. I sometimes feel as if I'm a fake. Or I feel that if people who admire me really knew me, that they would have contempt for me. Or I feel inadequate. I seldom feel as if I am up to what is expected of me. Or how about this? When I look inside of myself, I seldom feel any joy at what I am. Or this, I feel inferior to the really good people that I know. Or I feel as if God must be disgusted with me. Or I feel flawed inside, blemished somehow, dirty sometimes. Or I feel as if I just cannot measure up to what I ought to be. Or how about this? I feel as if I will never be accepted. I had an individual come up to me after the first service in tears. And she said that when she, when she heard that we were doing a series on shame, she was thinking, I'll probably sit this one out. She was here today. And she came to me because she said, it's just, I'm, I'm just, it was, I'm, I was scared of all that would kind of resurface in my life. And I totally get that. We talked about that. But she said, I'm so thankful that I was here today. And we talked about how it is that shame, what shame does is it causes us to want to suppress those things that, that we've determined define us. We want to keep that away from ourselves. We don't want to face it. And then we certainly don't want others to see it, right? So we keep it hidden away under the rug in the corner. But that's not what God desires for our lives. Amazing grace requires for us to bring it into the light, to actually step into it. Because when we step into it, that's when God can do amazing work in it. And when we venture to even communicate these things to others, awesome things happen. But before we can dive into what shame is, we first need to understand what shame isn't. All right? And there's three major distinctions. The first is this. Shame is not guilt. It's not guilt. Guilt is feeling bad about what I've done. We see this with kids, you know. They eat a cookie that they're not supposed to eat, and then they feel bad, and they confess it to mom or dad, right? That's best case scenario. It doesn't always happen that way. And, and so a person who experiences guilt, it's because of something they did wrong. Whereas shame is feeling bad because of who I am. Meaning that that's a person who experiences shame because they believe they are wrong. Not because of what they did, but because they feel they are fundamentally wrong. So shame is not guilt. Shame is also not embarrassment. We get that really confused sometimes. You know, when we think of the word shameful, you know, we associate that with embarrassment. But embarrassment is feeling bad because I look bad. You know, we've all been caught doing something or saying something that makes us look foolish. Well, that's not shame, that's embarrassment. And rather, shame is feeling bad because I am bad. Shame is a belief that we are morally unworthy at the core of who we are, regardless of what we do or don't do. And lastly, shame is also not discouragement. Consider Michelangelo, the famous painter, not the Ninja Turtle. 
Now, Michelangelo, arguably probably the greatest painter of all time, and the Sistine Chapel, probably one of the greatest masterpieces of all time. Well, halfway during that painting masterpiece, halfway through that, he takes a break, and I don't know how long, but during that period of time, he writes a sonnet. And in the sonnet, the last words he writes is, I am not a painter. You and I, we consider that, we're like, that's crazy. Because he eventually went back to work on it and then finished it, and we marvel at the masterpiece. That's discouragement. Discouragement is feeling bad because I am not up to doing the job. And that's usually characterized by a momentary despair. It's isolated in a moment. Or shame is feeling bad because I'm not up to being the person that I need to be. And that's often in the form of a chronic belief, regardless of our circumstances. So where does shame originate? Where does that come from? Well, there are several uh, characteristics that really kind of breed shame. It's the petri dish of shame, if you will, all right? The first is this, uh, those that are guilt spreaders, guilt spreaders, who can be characterized by the phrase, I did, therefore I am. Now, those are, those, are the, those of us who believe that what we've done that is bad has then largely dictated who we are. Maybe you can relate to that. Or how about this? Another originator is the overly responsible, characterized by the phrase, only I can fix this. And those are, those are the people that believe that, that, that we, not God, have the whole world in our hands and that only I can bring resolution or only I can fix these things or these people. Yet another originator of shame comes from those of us who are obsessive moralizers, obsessive moralizers, and that can be characterized by the phrase, I do everything wrong. And that's those of us who believe that all of our actions, regardless of whether they're silly or foolish, we do something silly, we say something silly that maybe we regret a little bit, or we do something really egregious, that regardless of whether it's silly or egregious, that they all have serious, morally serious ramifications. Another originator of shame are those of us who are compulsive comparers, or what I would refer to as the Facebook syndrome. And those are those people who would say, I won't amount to anything. That's those of us who are forever comparing ourselves to other people that we are deeming successful as, and we are not. Yet another originator of shame are those that we would call approval addicts. Approval addicts characterized by the phrase, are you mad at me? That's those of us who need the approval of others in order to feel approval of ourselves. Another originator of shame are those that we're going to call the never deserving, the never deserving. And those would say, I don't deserve this. That's those of us who cannot enjoy any good gifts or good things in life because we're just convinced that we don't deserve anything good. And then there are those 
that we're going to say are, are people condemned by bad memories, and they are characterized by the phrase, I'll never be able to move past this. And that's those of us who are plagued by a memory of something that we've done or that something that's been done to us, and we just can't get it out of our minds or our hearts. Yet another originator of shame are those who dwell in the shadows of their fathers or their mothers. And that can be characterized by the phrase, I'll never amount to anything because then there are those that we're going to say are people who measure ourselves by the actions and choices of our parents and they are characterized by the phrase, I'll never be able to move past this. And that's those of us who and lastly, are another originator of shame are those people who feel condemned by their dreams and that's characterized by the phrase, I can't get this thought out of my mind. And that's those of us who are plagued by dreams Yet another that present originator to us of shame are those who dwell in the shadows of, of ourselves. Their mothers. Now, and, at and the and beginning of this message, I talked about the difference between healthy and unhealthy shame. And how it is that we're honing in on unhealthy shame. And how unhealthy shame keeps us from the truth of God's amazing grace. And that's those of us who are another originator of shame. See, even though many of us have now or have experienced unhealthy shame, it can be healed. Healed, as we uh, mentioned before, and it's healed through the prospect of grace. consider these incredible words that we sing uh, so often. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Un healthy shame leads us to the faulty belief that we are worthless. But the definition of worthless is having no real value or use. And so that's then how we define ourselves when unhealthy shame penetrates our lives. But the definition of worth, listen to this, the definition of worth is this, it's the value of something measured by its qualities or by the esteem in which it is held. By the esteem in which it is held. You see, we have worth because we are valued. Our worth, our value, is measured by the esteem in which it is held by God Himself. And we see this so beautifully in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says this, but God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now we're going to explore this beautiful mystery, the mystery of amazing grace more and how it relates to unhealthy shame and how it can eradicate it from our lives over the next several weeks. But for now, I want you to know that unhealthy shame doesn't stand a chance in the presence of amazing grace. Because you are worth it to God. Let's pray. 
Father, I pray that as we venture courageously into this series more over the next few weeks, that you would revolutionize the thoughts and ideas that we have of ourselves, that we would not see ourselves the way that we are prone or that the enemy wants us to see ourselves, that we would not be subject or victim to unhealthy shame, but instead we would see our tremendous worth and value in your eyes, so much so that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have a relationship with you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Be with us for the remainder of this day. Bless us, enrich our lives, draw us close to one another and to you, and do so as we carry on through the course of this week. We love you, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen. 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 Two things really quick. Benevolence offering, we do that every uh, week here, uh, or I'm sorry, every month, the first week of the month. For those of you that are watching via the live stream, you can also give the benevolence offering through the giving tab uh, there in your live stream. But for those of you who are present, we're going to have a basket being held in the comments as you're leaving. Feel free to drop that in the basket so we can help people that are in financial need in our community. Parents, um, and this goes for my wife too, if you want to pick up our kids, all right, you want to do that out at the nursery. So go over to the nursery area. All the kids will be congregated there. Until we can see you guys again next week, thank you so much. Love you so much. Have a great day. God bless.